welcome to Live Your Own Way with me, Lucy Gleason Interiors, chatting homes, life and inspiration with my very special guests. talking beautiful tiles, perfect paint colours and fabulous flooring today with Rob Whitaker, who is creative director of online and Shoreditch-based Claybrook Studio, alongside his fellow founders Andy Manders and Lucy Kenner, who between them have years and years of experience. Claybrook arrived on the interior design scene around four years ago now and have made a huge impact. Their ethos and authenticity always remain the same, which is why I love what they do. Thank you, Rob, for joining me today. Um, you probably know I'm a big fan of your company and also an avid follower on Instagram. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm sitting on the sofa, having a typical work day at home in lockdown. Delighted to know that you are a fan of Claybrook Studio and the website. So uh, all good and happy to hear that. Are you working from home? Are you sort of planning designs for 2021? Yeah, we work about... Um, six to 12 months in advance. So the things that are being released at the moment online and through our shop, we probably worked on last year, early part of last year. Now I'm looking at things that may come out um, probably autumn time. It's a bit like fashion. You tend to work, uh, it's not so seasonal, but you do work away in advance because of having to travel find the products, negotiate the pricing, etc. Um, it's perhaps not as seasonal as fashion. We don't launch, you know, four collections a year, but uh, it's, a, it's a sort of staged process. Sometimes things happen quite quickly. We see a product, it, we almost buy it off the shelf, do an exclusive deal and, and launch it. Other times I can work for two years on something before I'm happy and then get it out online and to the store. You've obviously built the company over... I suppose a, a relatively short amount of time because it's been about what three or four years. But obviously, that doesn't come without experience and a lot of hard work beforehand. So, what's your story then, and what were you doing before Claybrook? So, uh, originally, I'm from the West Midlands. I went to uni, and then, uh, like most people, I think in their twenties, you have a couple of stabs at figuring out what, what it is you actually want to do with your life. Uh, and what career is suited to you. I actually started work uh, way back when at Hagendas Ice Cream in the early 90s. Um, I think a lot of my colleagues were passionate about restaurants and wanting to open their own restaurant, and they had all the jargon down about how many covers do you have in your restaurant, which I eventually figured out meant how many seats are there. But I realised... I don't really care how many covers there are in my restaurant. Now, that is not a badge of honour I feel passionate about. And eventually I decided to quit that. Um, and I didn't actually have another job to go to. Um, in fact, I went out from haagen in fairly spectacular style. I, I had food poisoning in my last week. And I thought I have to complete the, the you know the, my notice period. On my last day, long story short, I collapsed on the tube on the way in and was really ill over myself. So when I arrived, um, my colleague said, well, you can't be in those clothes today. We'll get you something from the marketing stockroom. And the uh, catchphrase of haagen then was, I've had the ultimate experience. So on my last day there, I, I had this kind of maroon outfit on. I looked like a clown. 
And in huge letters across the front, it said, Hagendas, I've had the ultimate experience. And that was pretty fitting, really, because I had, and I was, I was done. So I, I gave that up, and um, uh, I really had to sit and think about what, what do I want to do? What do I feel passionate about? How do, I, how do I get up in the morning and feel like I really want to go to work? And I was about 25 at that point, and I thought, what actually I feel passionate about is um, design. So I identified a number of brands that um, I was attracted to and, and applied for various things. And eventually I worked for an American homewares company in London. Um, that was for two or three years, which included a stint at Harvey Nichols, which was hilarious during the abfab days of the mid-90s uh, when Harvey Nichols was really the place to work. And, um, and in fact, the, uh, the canteen there was as, as, as amusing as the shop floor. Um, people swapping clothes and applying makeup, and that's just the boys. Uh, during their lunch hour. It, it was really a bit like being on stage working there. But that really instilled a passion for design. And after two or three years there, I uh, went to work for um, a tile business that had 60 or 70 um, stores eventually. And I, I worked my way up there. So prior to Claybrook, I did have a good grounding in in the tile industry and interior design in general. Uh, and I, I would say I engineered that myself, but that wasn't something that, that kind of happened. I, I chose that industry. And is that what brought uh, your Lucy, the brand director for Claybrook, and Andy, your CEO, is that what brought you all together? Yes. So we had previously worked together for quite a while and then went off in different directions. But I think we all felt that there was a bit of unfinished business. And it was really Andy, I would say, uh, our CEO, who came to me with a vision. He's a bit of a serial entrepreneur. And um, his vision really was to, to start a business from scratch without, without all the baggage that many businesses have. A, a lot of people started off with bricks and mortar shops, then had to devise a website alongside it. To start from scratch means that you, you can really do without a large number of stores. And also you can design the business around a kind of set of philosophies um, that are simpler and cleaner for the way that people like to shop now. So he and I kind of came up with a business plan um, and eventually we sat down with Lucy and said she is a genius at building websites. Uh, her background is actually in theatre design. Um, it just goes to show what you start off doing isn't necessarily what you end up doing. but she found her her flair for branding and marketing, and um, she's very technically minded. So perhaps you would say Andy is um, the entrepreneur and uh, the business brain. Lucy, fantastic at website uh, and brand, and I'm pretty good at um, design and product. Claybrook really came about by... Wanting a business that was just very simple, that it was almost about what we didn't want it to be, so much as of what it, what it, we did want it to be. I I'd been doing up a house and found it really frustrating that you'd fall in love with something online or in a shop, and all of the once you'd paid for it, all of the aftercare was really shoddy. Even really well known brands get it wrong. So we we kind of wrote a list of what what if we were 
if we were the customer, what would we want? We hate sales. We hate having to monitor um, the price of things so that you have to try and quickly order it during the January sale or the summer sale. So number one almost was uh, really for Lucy and Andy and I was, let's let's do a business where the prices don't fluctuate. Let's have what's best for the customer. Let's keep everything in stock so that you're not trying to figure out when it's going to be due in. Let's do free delivery, free samples. Let's not have a customer care department because the one thing that drove me mad doing at my own house was the minute something goes wrong, you're passed from pillar to post. And so we, we've just tried to engender a feeling of empowerment with the team so that if anything does go awry, you can make decisions there and then. You're not relying on somebody else to solve your problems for you or telling a customer, well, you know, take a number. Uh, we'll get back to you. So Claybrook, you know, that that's the non-sexy side of interior design. Um, it's that, you know, there's a business behind the offer. The, what the customer should see is beautiful, authentic, um, inspirational product. What they shouldn't have to deal with is the back office, the, the operational side, the warehousing, the buying. That That's our job. So Claybrook came from Andy's vision, really, of a business cleanly run with a small number of people offering fantastic product at great prices without all of the baggage of, of many of our competitors. So it's a mixture, really, of, of obviously contemporary by going online as well as having your showroom, but also that, that old school feel, which I, I love. And I think, you know, we lack sometimes these days, don't we? I think it, it is a mixture. Everyone wants to be able to sit with their laptop on their lap of an evening and easily navigate a website. It's just the way shopping is done now. And I'm proud that our website is easily navigable, if that's the word. But equally, people doing up a home and investing in something long term, they do want to touch and feel the product. So we opened a store uh, in Shoreditch really as a showcase so that for customers not familiar with tiled, because how often do you tile your kitchen or bathroom? Or if you've never painted before or never bought a bathroom, people literally want to go and sit in the tub. They want to get the feel of it. They want to know, you know, is it big enough for me? My husband's six foot one. Is he going to fit in the tub? They want to go in and sit in it and try it. So I think it's it's difficult if you're selling a quality product to purely sell online. And also as a new business, I personally felt we needed to meet the customer and explain the ethos, um, particularly customers spending a, a larger amount of money. Um, quite a few of our clients will tackle one or two bathrooms at the same time. So it is an investment and something people take seriously. So that, that kind of old-fashioned, great service, personable people, um, we talk normally. I, I really can't bear jargon. I don't want to walk into a shop and feel like someone has rehearsed what they're going to say to me. It really has to be an organic experience. So that's about finding the right people in many ways. Good interior design isn't just about stocking pretty products, is it? It's a lot deeper than that. It's about understanding people and being pretty astute, really, about you know what someone wants and about their personality. Yeah, it takes um, the right kind of employee 
of Claybrook to, to get that information out of our clients. They really need to have um, a high level of emotional intelligence and to be able to recognize other people's emotions. Some customers are really quite het up when they arrive. The whole idea of um, doing their project, let alone having come in on the tube. So having someone with negotiation skills who can collaborate creatively with a client makes for a much happier sales process for us and for the client. I think that comes across on your on your Instagram as well that you sort of really understand people. You've also got a lot of follow, followers on there. Who creates all of that, all of your content? We do think in terms of um, who is the customer, how is this going to look, how do we photograph it? How do we style it? Which is important. Um, what are we going to call it? Um, who, who is the target customer? And how is it going to look on Instagram, which is so important these days? So it, it is a, a kind of um, a dialogue, it, albeit a one-way dialogue in some respects. You have to present the product in a way that feels comfortable and accessible and attractive to a client on Instagram or, or Pinterest to make them pick up the phone and ring us and say, well, I've seen it on Instagram. How can I get samples or go online? Um, that, that kind of visual appeal is, is hugely important and something we've tried really hard with, that it's about putting products in front of people, almost anticipating their, their needs before they do. Sometimes you have to meet a demand and sometimes you have to kind of create one. Well, it looks fantastic. I always look forward to your photos. I'm like a kid in a sweet shop, to be honest with you. How many collections of tiles have you got now? Um, well, they break down between um, different kind of substrates. So we have uh, a whole series of porcelains, marble, wall tile, floor tile. Um, I can't tell you the exact number, but we try and have a selection within each so that if it is wall tiles you're after, the chances are you have an idea that you want some decorative so the the website is or the shop is easily um, understandable from that point of view, so that you can narrow down um, by color, by pattern. Is it handmade? Is it porcelain? And also price points they vary. Some um, products that are hand painted in the UK are clearly going to be slightly more expensive than something that's been um, kind of mass produced from Italy or Spain. But a, a wide selection and Enough, but not too much. I do think you can confuse people. You know, if you offer 100 types of porcelain floor tile, it's a sort of, um, you know, throw everything at it game. You're relying on the customer to spend a lot of time trawling through the options to find what they want. And really, it's a cliche to talk in terms of capsule collections or edits, but Really, you you have to try and narrow down the choice to some degree by not having too much, but having a selection so that the customer feels it is their choice and that they don't have to go somewhere else to choose things. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you come up with the designs? Who is it? You or is it a collaboration? It can be both. Sometimes um, we're on our travels, we see something, and it, it, it's done. You know. Um, God forbid I quote Boris Johnson, but some things are oven ready and that you can literally do a deal with the maker and then start selling them. Other times we'll meet someone, what they're offering isn't right, but by working with them, by changing the size or the color, um, then you know it, it can work 
brilliantly for us from that point on. It is to do with relationships as well. Sometimes you meet people and they're so fantastic and so passionate that although what they're producing at the moment isn't right for you, by working together, um, you can create some some really special things. So it's a it's a a dual process of um, keeping an eye on the market so that I can advise our makers what it is for the UK market that I think is going to be popular next year or the year after, and also selecting um, from from their existing ranges. And also because we deal with a lot of people overseas, things fall into kind of themes. So in in England, for example, people tend to decorate in a certain um, genre. So for example, uh, you might like Swedish design or I might like French design. And so that falls into a certain category. We know what we're looking for. We know how to style it and photograph it to be attractive to the person who likes shabby chic French style or the Swedish look. And that translates quite easily when talking to a maker as to what it is we're after. Equally, um, people who travel to the United States, spend time on the East Coast, are very attracted by that kind of Cape Cod East Coast look, uh, which tends to translate into things like white and pale blue, more coastal colours. So these are kind of the language in which we we talk in order to explain to um, the makers and and ultimately the the customer. I had a customer in London once, and she um, I happened to be in the store, and she came in and said, "I'm just back from New York. Everywhere I go, I see white marble. Do you have?" And I turned around and I said, "You mean this?" And it was a whole collection of marbles that we'd actually called after places on the east coast of the states because it just makes it obvious then what was behind our thinking and she said absolutely you have matched perfectly what i had in mind so that's where the the kind of the world travel and understanding the way people decorate ties in with translating that through to a product and then presenting it to a customer in a really easy accessible way so that in that case she knew she liked new york east coast design and we had presented it to her within within that idea if that makes sense do you travel a lot looking for inspiration or do you find a lot of it online or just all around you where you are i would yeah i would well we do travel a lot i mean there's no getting away from that um the there's trade shows around the world which you might think, blimey, who wants to go to a trade show? And yeah, there can be um, quite hard work. You know, there'll, there'll be an aircraft hangar f- with 10,000 slightly clammy people all looking at the same 100 stands of uh, product. Um, and they are, you know, they're hectic. You have to concentrate. Your competitors are there. You're trying to seek out the, the new and the beautiful with a bit of jet lag. and. Um, maybe having had about five coffees. So that that process seems like, oh, yay, we're going to Italy, but actually is can turn into a bit of a trial. Um, so that there is the kind of classic trade show route to finding product. Then there's just experience. Um, because I've been in interior design probably 25, 30 years now, you end up with a little black book you know, the perfect list of people. 
and you kind of slot people away for a rainy day. And then when you think of something you need, you can contact them and say, well, I never forgot what you showed us five years ago. How, how about we now collaborate? So some of it is kind of who you know. So that's been really useful over the last year or so then? Absolutely. Um, when we uh, first sat down, which was literally at my kitchen table in 2017, and I mean, almost almost literally on the back of a fag packet, I think it was a piece of A4, we sketched out what is what could this business be? Who do we need? Um, what products are we going to sell and how are we going to do it? One of the first things I did after that kitchen table conversation was talk to the press because in the last 25 years, you know, you build relationships with the interior design press and ultimately you're relying on good editorial and good word of mouth and um, social media to get the word out, particularly with a new business. So chatting to them about, well, listen, this is, you know, um, slightly off the cuff for now but how, how, what do you think about me setting up this company and this is what we're planning? And their feedback was, you know, if you have great visuals, if you have unique product, um, if you have a fantastic, easy service offering, then that is going to s- stand you in very good stead for creating the business from scratch and to hit the ground running really quickly. So it was a mixture of um, having a great supplier list and also a great contacts list with the press and also being able to build a great team. We, we're, I have to say, Claybrook, we, we really wanted to start Claybrook and, well, and continue with Claybrook with a team that didn't really need managing. And that's turned out to be a real joy that... Um, it's a somewhat unique structure that Andy is the CEO and ultimately has the, um, the final say. But really the 20 or so members of the team are pretty much self-managing because because they do have those skills that I've talked about. Um, and so at Claybrook, what Andy and I felt really from day one was, you know, we don't wear suits and ties. We're not going to do annual appraisals. We're not going to have hierarchy. We're going to develop a team of people who each feel passionate and motivated there was a definite sort of series of choices that went into setting claybrook up in a way that we felt really truly passionate about not just another tile paint bathroom company and i hope that that comes out in really in everything we do you know the the company voice should sound authentic because it is authentic. Yeah, well, it certainly comes across. And you started off just with tiles, didn't you? That was they were your first product. Yeah. So really, the first couple of di- things we did post kitchen table was get an office. Uh, we sat with post-it notes for a couple of days, thinking, okay, what are all the products that we love, and how do we start? So we felt we should narrow it down to a tile collection first. And then because customers naturally ask, um, you know, I'm doing my bathroom, you've got this lovely apricot-coloured tile, what colour do you think I should paint the walls? It became obvious that we should have a paint collection to offer, but one that felt right for us. So not 400 colours, more like 24 colours. 
not 100 shades of white, but Claybrook is about colour and pattern. So let's have 24 fantastic strong colours with humorous names. Um, so, for example, Claire's Lippy is named after our colleague Claire, who wears bright red lipstick. I think Claybrook should be about um, a limited number of fantastic products, not millions of products. And also, you can't you can't be everybody. There's there's different markets, like there is in fashion, um, and it's about understanding who your market is, and at which point you sit within that. You are, you are very unique. You can, you know, you see a tal and I think I, I know where that's from. I just recently saw on your Instagram, and I really, really want to use them at some point in a project, the Bermuda Triangle. Somebody asked me yesterday, why did you call it Bermuda Triangles? I said, because it's easy to remember. It's a triangle. So Bermuda Triangles. Also, who doesn't love Barry Manilow? <laughs> you know, sing along, people. So, yeah, Bermuda Triangles, they came about because... Um, I, I like interesting shapes, and there's only so many different shapes you can have in a tile. But we really, for a while, wanted to do triangles, but I wanted them to be really bold. So they really kind of look like they've been dipped in candy colours. Uh, they're a slightly matte finish made for us in Spain, just in, um, I think it's like eight or ten colours. Uh, but they're perfectly usable, bathrooms, kitchens. You could do a little splashback. You could even just do a run of them. So just one tile, if you like, you know, running along behind a sink where you end up with a kind of jaggedy effect pattern. I'm glad you like those. They, they literally came out about two weeks ago, so well spotted. Oh, yeah. And also the Cabrera, they're Spanish-inspired. I love those as well. Cabrera came about, um, actually, we were in Spain, and I kept seeing a really lovely sort of um, soft blush pink tone in really old Spanish tile. So we spoke to one of our makers out there and she came up with a series of designs sort of inspired by older Spanish design, but perhaps a little bit pared back. Some Spanish design tiles get a bit colourful. You know, why, why use two colours when you can use ten? So that perhaps the more contemporary way of using those um, shades and patterns is to narrow it down to, you know, like one one option is a blue and green, one option is a, a pink and apricot. So a, a little kind of simpler for the UK palette, perhaps, but uh, beautiful nonetheless. And who came up with the vintage vibes, the retro? One I saw was like a brown tile, which is really cool. Yeah, so that came from my obsession with the 1970s. Um, I bought a house four years ago that was built in 72, and it was sold to me as a... Uh, newly refurbished and in great condition, but it soon transpired that was a complete lie. And I've decided the reason why people don't like estate agents is because it's the only person you buy something from where you can't take it back. You, you spend an enormous amount of money on something, and then if you don't like it, you're stuck with it. Uh, I do think that's yeah, genuinely why people are upset with estate agents. So in my case, paid a lot of money for a house and then ended up stripping everything out because it didn't work or function properly. But underneath that, cheap and tacky uh, makeover was the original 1972 house sitting underneath. So in the kitchen were, were the original 1972 patterns, which were fantastic. Browns, oranges, yellows, swirly shapes. The same on the wall. There was a f sort of, for some reason, a fake wall in my kitchen. We pulled the wall down. Behind it was the original wall, beautifully tiled. So we started looking for something 
um, that felt kind of retrospective in terms of its design, but usable for today, and came up with those series of decors and um, kind of plain field tiles that felt like they could have come from my house in 1972. And the naming always is a kind of... um, you know, mysterious process. I tend to just sit and stare at the product for a while and think what words come to mind. And with those, I felt like, well, they have a kind of vintage vibe. <laughs> They're called vintage vibes. Yeah, great name. And the reclaimed ter- terracottas are, are lovely. They just remind me of my childhood. Um, I lived in a home with, with uh, the, you know, had, had that kind of um, tile work and brick. And it's just, yeah, it just makes me happy. Well, what, what period property was, was that that you lived in, do you think? Oh gosh, it was it was very old. I mean, ter- terracotta tends to be, fall into two categories: either original, which you might call quarry tile, uh, which you might find in your kitchen or hallway in older property, um, and then there was a huge fad in the eighties once people started going to Spain on holiday and started seeing terracotta on the terrace, felt or around the pool, felt like they wanted to bring back some of that to Britain. Um, so every early 90s conservatory, I think, in the UK had a terracotta floor. Uh, Then it went out of fashion for a while. And then perhaps maybe six or seven years ago, I think it came back around again because of its kind of organic natural quality, uh, the warmth, the kind of earthiness of it, and the, the interest in reclaimed and reused material. So we went on a bit of an expedition. One of the things we've we've done at Claybrook is really tried hard to cut out any middlemen. A, because it confuses communication if you're sort of meeting someone in the UK and talking about an overseas product. But B, it just adds unnecessary cost. And that's how really at Claybrook we've managed to offer such great value for money is because we've got off our bums and flown to places maybe our customers don't want to. Um and then found the product. In the case of that reclaimed terracotta you've fallen in love with, we met a family who reclaim roof tile in Belgrade. So that to begin with, I thought, how can that be true? How many roof tiles are there uh, made out of terracotta? But actually in S- Serbia, almost all roofs are terracotta, uh, particularly older roofs. And they don't have the same attitude to sort of building standards of we as we do. A lot of older property is simply pulled down, and then a newer one rebuilt on top. So it wasn't a case of vandalism; it was a case of rescue. Really, the the wall tiles were just stacked up in fields from when farm buildings had been taken down, and um, this family uh, take them, clean them, cut them into shapes, and. Um, and then ship them to us. It's nice that you've got stories behind a lot of your um, tiles and, you know, all your paint as well. It just shows a passion that you all have. Yeah, also, well, I like working with individuals, you know, rather than corporations. So the, the paint is made in the UK. Again, a small family business. We didn't want to do production overseas. Um, our customers are very environmentally conscious and from the get-go, it became obvious that we were going to get questions of where is this made, how is it made, what's in the paint, um, can you talk about VOC levels, is it vegan friendly, are you doing unnecessary journeys in shipping? So that really was the starting point. And we found, again, a small family, brother and sister business, um, 
to work with. So you order paint online or in our shop and it's made fresh for you. With with colours, do you find that people follow trends or are people, most of your customers, do they know their own colour palette already? It really varies. A lot of people, particularly younger people, I would say, who are social media savvy and spend a lot of time on Instagram, have created, a, you know, a kind of swatch board um, of colours that they love, usually on their phones or on their, you know, on their Mac. Um, and then they'll share that with us and then we can match product to it. Or they've done a clipboard of our products and that makes it very easy. I would say hotels and travel are perhaps the biggest key influence for, for things that our clients are after. That, that's where people get their inspiration, possibly because when traveling, your mind is freer, you're happier, you're more open to experience and um, you know, new cultures and new people tend to stay with you don't they you kind of soak up what you see when you're traveling and then come back with your iphone full of photographs and think well actually that's a bit different that's beautiful i feel passionate about that where can i find it so hopefully claybrook is the place to come absolutely and also well, i find always find a lot of inspiration at the seaside but as you say when your mind is kind of relaxed and open you do see a lot more don't you yeah, I'd, particularly with the UK being an island nation, um, we do talk about the coastal look a lot. Um, and it's interesting that a large number, particularly of our tiles, well, almost all of them have to have a blue and a green. I notice, particularly in the States, if you live in a hot um, area like Nevada, Arizona, you know, California, You'll know what I mean, I think, when I say the interiors tend to be brown and orange. And I think it's because people almost subconsciously match the interior to the exterior. Whereas in England, it's very green, it's very wet. We tend to decorate in slightly cooler shades of blues and moss greens, you know, sea blue. And then when we deal with people in Scandinavia, you know, they are after whites blues the landscape to some um level dictates i think how people feel i absolutely and also uh, scandinavian you know the wooden flooring which was what i was going to ask about next is that what came along after the paint was that before we years ago had met a fantastic business and again when we were doing claybrook and we wanted to do things in a streamlined way it felt natural and uh, it's a cliched word, but organic to work with those guys because I knew they wouldn't let us down. And, you know, Claybrook, we like things that are tactile and wood flooring is very tactile. Um, again, customers want to know, is it from accredited sources? And I knew that these guys had done all of that work. Um, in England, Wood flooring um, tends to fall into a couple of categories. And we were passionate about um, oak flooring in particular. So our current collection is a series of oak um, options in in slightly different shades and levels of uh, distressing, uh, suitable for different properties, really. Uh, I think in England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, um, the, the the type of properties 
really vary a lot um, just due to how long you know these the the aisles have been inhabited property you know we have clients who who will visit with a 15th century cottage and some products work better in that than others right through to people buying an apartment at the barbican center you know 70s um or a modern apartment where they want to add something that creates a bit of depth in an otherwise slightly sterile environment that's very different to um in california for example where uh, the homes fall into two or three categories of sp- Spanish, uh, California-style tract homes, you know, sort of large estates of identical homes like you see on films like E.T., you know, cycling down the street with a cul-de-sac of almost identical houses. That They don't tend to talk in those same terms. They don't reference the English look or the Spanish look or the Italian look. I think in in the uh, uk in particular we we have a a climate that lends itself to influencing us in a whole series of ways albeit the countryside the city um the coastal feel and certainly uh, i spend quite a lot of time i went to university in brighton so i kind of um, had a love of the sea from then on really it, it felt very exciting to me growing up in the Midlands to be able to actually go and see the seaside. It felt like a holiday every day. Your your baths and showers, you do those lovely roll-top baths as well, which talking of Brighton remind me of the, the lovely Edwardian Victorian homes. You know, they're, they're, they're beautiful. Yeah, thank you. I, I think bathrooms um, is interesting. If you, if you, I mean, if you think back to homes before about 1920, most didn't have a bathroom. So when people come to decorate a bathroom, Often their first reference point is almost an Art Deco look. They think in terms of black and white, quite utilitarian, quite pared back. When bathrooms really were the bath, the room, sorry, where you had a bath. Um, and actually, at the real inception of bathrooms, it would just have a bath in it. You, your your loo would probably be outside, or if you were wealthy, your your servants would take your pan away. So bathrooms, as we think of them really developed, I would say, really from the 1920s onwards. And up until about 1960, really, they were the, the sort of the room that time forgot. They, they very much were a, an add-on, um, not considered worthy of decorating, not a warm, cosy space, possibly unheated, where you spent 10 minutes a day. It was only really, um, I think, with the inception of central heating, wall-to-wall carpets, uh, more accessible purchasing of bathroom suites, the production of plastic um, and built-in baths, that things really started to change. So in people's minds, those freestanding tubs, you know, there is a sort of an element of luxury about those because anything sort of pre-1920, you're really talking about quite grand houses, the sort of Downton Abbeys of the world and the London townhouses, that would have even have had a tub. So th- there is always a little element of luxury about a, a clawfoot bath and um, the fact that perhaps you need a separate shower so that, that they, they tend to get used in slightly larger bathrooms. The built-in baths are fantastic, particularly in London, where space is at a premium. So um, I'm not going to let you go unless um, you'll tell me about your home as well. 
because your style, like, is it Clay Brooked? Uh, it is Clay Brooked, yes. Um, so, like I say, I bought this house about three years ago. It's a three-story 1972 townhouse. Uh, I bought it because of parking. I live in Leamington Spa, and being very Georgian, the homes mostly abut right onto the road pre-traffic. So finding somewhere with a driveway and a garage close to the centre of beautiful Leamington was tricky. Fortunately, or rather unfortunately for somebody, a Victorian house had been demolished in the 70s and a little row of six townhouses was built in its place, each with a garage, double garage at ground level, uh, some rooms behind and then the rest of the house built on top. So it's, I suppose you would call it fake Georgian, faux Georgian, it has balconies on the front and kind of fake sash windows. Not exactly my personal style, but I do like mid-century and the house did lend itself perfectly uh, to incorporating a lot of the mid-century pieces I've, I've built up over the years. So, uh, yes, it was eventually gutted from top to bottom once I'd found that, well, once I found the kitchen was held together by sellotape, uh, that, that did somewhat lend itself to being refurbished. Likewise, I, you might wince at this, Lucy, but I actually took out a clawfoot bath. Uh, it was plastic. Don't, don't cry. Um, it, and it leaked everywhere. It looked fantastic, but it was rubbish. And uh, it turned out that the plumbing underneath the floorboards wasn't even attached. So every time someone emptied the plug, uh, the water drained out into the dining room downstairs. So that room had to get gutted. Uh, so it's the perfect opportunity to, to clay brook it up. So I used, um, we do a really lovely terrazzo porcelain, by which I mean it's porcelain, but it looks like terrazzo. Uh, we base that collection on, um, now, now you're going to get jealous now, Lucy. At the very beginning of Claybrook, Gemma and I decided that in order to get inspiration, we needed to go to California. And I somehow managed to wangle a meeting in Beverly Hills. And not only that, we somehow managed to wangle being there for about a week. So uh, uh, you, you might have to edit this bit out for my uh, Claybrook colleagues who, who I told we had a really terrible journey to, to California. But actually, Jammer and I spent uh, a few days in Beverly Hills where we visited uh, an enclave of Beverly Hills called the Truesdale Estates, which is a very high-end, mid-century district uh, next to Bel Air. Um, which just features some really fantastic single-story mid-century homes, almost all of which have terrazzo uh, hallways or uh, bathrooms on the floor. That really stuck with me. So when we got back, um, real terrazzo, as in pieces of marble set into cement and created in one go on a floor, is super expensive. Even terrazzo tile is fairly pricey so we opted to look for porcelain that looked as much like the real terrazzo as possible and that took ages actually we looked at literally hundreds i think we narrowed it down to an italian one um and we named each one after famous residents of those that that district of beverly hills in uh, truesdale so jennifer aniston had a home there so the one i chose for myself is called aniston and um, it's a kind of peachy tone with you know bits of yellow, bits of white, and I did a bathroom in that. 
and then the second bathroom needed less of a refurb, so I put wooden panelling in um, up to half height and then painted it in a Claybrook hay bale shade, which is a sort of mustard yellow. It seemed to go with the 70s vibe of the house. And, um, yeah, and the kitchen likewise. Uh, sadly, those original 70s tiles I unearthed on the floor were an utter death trap because I don't think in the 70s they'd quite understood about slip resistancy. They were the glossiest, shiniest, most deadly killer tiles I've ever come across. So we had to cover them over. Um, so again, I used a, um, a Claybrook porcelain um, terrazzo in the kitchen. So I would say what my personal style does tend perhaps towards um, mid-century, although the, the house I had before this was a 1908 Edwardian villa, and I did that in a more sort of eclectic feel with um, dark grey, blush pink, and then kept a lot of the original features, which like I had um beautiful geometric cement tile hallway floor which was in a sort of brown and peach the original floor so that dictated how i decorated the rest of the house i do i do think though that you can use and mix different styles even in that house 1908 i managed to throw in a few mid-century pieces because houses evolve and it's very rare unless you you know you set yourself up as a sort of museum uh, that a house stands still you know you, you if I decorated in a purely 1908 style, I'd have had no heating, no bathroom, um, and slightly creaky windows. It was half the fun anyway of interior design, isn't it? Is you know coming up with different colours and making things work in different styles and eras. So thank you so much for talking to me today. And it's been really insightful, really interesting. That, well, thanks very much. And um, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're, a, you're becoming a little fan of our business. It's uh, it's heartwarming. Thank you. You can see all the tiles and paints that we have chatted about over in their lovely store, claybrookstudio.co.uk. And of course, they have their studio showroom, which is in Shoreditch, with all the details on the website. You can find me and my design services at lucylovesy.com. And my Instagram is Lucy Gleason Interiors. Do come and say hi. And also don't forget to subscribe. If you're enjoying the episodes, please do. I've got another brilliant guest next week. And until then, have a good one. 